0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Steve Vickers in Christian Life Church in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com. We're going to start a series on living in the right direction. Now, I want you to be, make sure you're here over the next few weeks as we discuss this because it's going to be really important to help each and every one of us make sure that we're or empower us to make right choices, right decisions to go the right direction in our life. Life is a journey. It is, you and I are always moving in a direction. And we're either headed in the right direction or we're headed in the wrong direction. Now the thing we don't want to do, and <clears throat> some of us have been there What we don't want to wake up one day after years of life and realize we have been headed in the wrong direction. You know, it is said that who cares if you hit the bullseye if it's the wrong target? Okay. Who cares if you arrive at the destination when it's the wrong destination? Okay. So it's not just to, you don't want to just hit the bullseye. You don't want to just get to a destination. You want to make sure you're moving, living life in the right direction to where that your life is all it can be. God has given you potential, each and every one of us, tremendous potential. But if we move our life in the wrong direction, if we move according to circumstances or pressures and we let those things shape and form us, if we let them limit us, then we wind up going in a direction that is not going to capture who we were made to be and what we were made to be able to do. And I'm not just talking about uh, you know, being a good Christian. That is a part of it. That is at the core of who we are. Now, our lives, the reason we have problems with this is, and trust me, you know, if you do, you're not alone. You're in the vast majority of people. The sad thing is that there's a lot of people my age that are in, I'm in my, uh, I'm in my uh, life and... uh, and there's a lot of people my age that are still searching or still wondering Again, if you ask them, you know, how, how is life? Well, you know, it's life, you know, uh, they don't, they're not where they want to be. If you ask them, say, well, did you arrive where you wanted to be in life? There's a, most people would say, not really, but you know, I don't even think about that. In other words, I'm living with the unhappiness. I've learned to be happy with this unhappiness. Uh, <clears throat> the reason it is difficult for us to make right decisions and right choices and go right directions many times is because life is not simple. And lots of times, you know, you go to a seminar or, or you read a book or something, or you, somebody teaches you something, or you hear a phrase, you know. sometimes people, they break down very complicated things and make them very simple. And that's of course what you have to do in teaching. But the trouble is sometimes it's oversimplified. And then when we run out and try to do it, you know, we've been to the seminar, we've been to the meeting or whatever, and we go out and try to do it, all of a sudden it just doesn't seem to fit. And we start trying to do all these things. We've got all these great goals and plans or whatever it may be. We're now going to be, you know, we've been to a motivational thing and we're all ready to do it. And we get all those things together and we start trying to work it. But it doesn't take long before we realize it seems like I have no ability, no control over my life. And I'm being forced and this is just the way life is. And we throw those things away. And after a while we get to where we don't want to hear anybody tell us how to live uh, the life we were supposed to live. It's because it's very complicated and our life is complex. There are always in every one of our lives there are tensions against us. We're being pulled in many directions. You're never pulled in one direction. You're pulled in a lot of different directions. Some of them are pulling you towards what you should, the direction you should go, but a lot of them are pulling you away. Sometimes even loved ones, their words, their actions, their desires that they believe are good for us can be pulling us in the wrong direction. Now and here's what we've got to understand. It is yours and my choice as an individual, our choice, my choice, your choice, that God holds us responsible for. You know God's not going to hold Denise responsible for putting pressures on me. Now she shouldn't if they're wrong pressures and, but God holds me responsible for how I react to it. And if God wants me to go a direction and wants me to do a thing, and I acquiesce or I submit to the pressures of people, whether the congregation or friends or family or anything else, then I'm accountable to God. I can't say, I don't get to, you know, I don't get a hall pass to say, oh, well, Denise was pressuring me or Stacy and the kids were pressuring me. God says, no. No. You're the one that has to make a decision. Whether you're a male or female, a a, a mother and father or son and daughter, you have to make choices. Now when we're at a certain age, our parents are making choices for us. But parents, let me say this. You should not be making choices for a teenager. You should be you should be helping them. You should have already taught them how to make right choices in life and not wrong choices. And you should be able to talk with them. And you certainly don't make choices for a kid in their 20s. If you're doing that, somebody's, no, I'm not going to say it. but <laughs> You've got a problem. All right. Now. <clears throat> I have to make my own choices. I have to decide the direction I'm going. Now, if you could view life, your life, as a, a, a little boat. Okay, you may want to call it a big ship, I know, guys. But anyway, you're a boat just for sake of the story. You're in a, a canoe. Your life is a canoe going down a river, and it's a fast-moving river. Now, some of you may think that, you know, boy, it takes forever when you're young, it seems like it took forever, you know, for days to pass. I remember in school, oh, it was so long, you know, from, from Monday morning to Friday afternoon. It took forever to go through that to where I, Friday afternoon came and I had a weekend and the weekend went like that. It seemed like I stepped out of the class door, you know, and all of a sudden it was Monday morning again, you know, it was like, what happened to the weekend? But as you get older, man, all of a sudden you realize, man, time is moving quick. Life is moving fast. I'm 60, almost 67, and I'm telling you what, it seemed like yesterday I was a teenager. Uh, a guy posted a friend of mine, he and I, he was, we were on the football team together, and uh, I was a quarterback, and he was a running back, and <clears throat> he posted on Facebook uh, our, our team picture. And I looked on there, and some of the guys are not even alive today. Uh, but uh, and our coach, that was the coach, he's not alive today. But I looked at that and I looked at myself and I made this comment on Facebook. I said, I wish that I could talk to the guy wearing number 10 and give him some advice about life. You know, I, and I looked at myself and I thought, man, you hadn't got a clue right there of what's ahead. And there was a whole lot of choices I'd like for him to make different, or have made different, you know, but thank God for Jesus. Can I get a holy ground or an amen? Amen. Amen. You know, it can be very confusing and difficult to make life choices. Let me go back to the illustration. Your life, if you can view your life as a canoe going down the stream, and the stream has got a pretty rapid current, because I promise you, life is moving at a very fast pace. Parents, those kids are not going to be kids very long. What you're going to do with them, how are you're going to help them, you know, don't put off parenting until you get where you want to be. Because while you're getting there, they're passing their time where you can affect them. And here's the thing, if you don't affect them, somebody will. All right, so take advantage of it. But also in your life, quit putting off what you want to do. Quit putting off what you need to do. Quit putting off what you know to do. All right, you've got to seize the moment. And that canoe is being taken down that river, all right? Now, you can put the paddle in. You can either go with the current... Go with the flow of this world. Go with the flow that is around you. And we're going to talk about that in upcoming sessions about that flow that you're in that is around you created by the world you live in. All right? And I want to teach you some things about how you can deal with that current. But you're being pushed along. Now, you need to put the paddle in. If you've ever done canoeing, you can put the paddle in. You can paddle with the paddle, but you can also make it a rudder. And you put the paddle in back there, and you can turn that thing and start directing that canoe using the current but directing it in the direction you need to go. Now, if you want to go against the current, you're going to have to do some more work. All right? So here's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks is living in the right direction. And literally what we mean by this is that when you get at the end... When your canoe arrives at its final destination, that you can look back over your journey that you took and be able to say, man, it was good. Yeah, Yeah, there was bumps in the road. There was rapids I went through. There was tough times, you know, got knocked out of the canoe a few times, but got back in, you know, and there were some times I even feared what was going to happen, but all in all, it was really good. Now I want that for you and God wants that for you, but you've got to be intentional about this. See, life cannot be lived on autopilot. If you just sit back in that, well, a canoe doesn't have an autopilot. We used to fly, uh, I'm, when I'm a pilot and we were, were flying across country and you got an autopilot in there. I was flying, Denise is in the back and she's sleeping, it's about two o'clock in the morning and I fell asleep. And we're out over, uh, probably over at West Texas and New Mexico and that area, headed to California, and uh, <clears throat> we had left Montgomery about late in the evening. And uh, I fell asleep. Well, all of a sudden, you know, I woke up. Because you can get out there and you're not having to talk to the, at, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, not talking, you're in between uh, uh, airports, so you're not coming in to any approaches or anything. I fell asleep. <clears throat> but, you know, it was good that George... Uh, the autopilot was flying the plane. But now that can be dangerous. can be dangerous, you know? Uh, What if I'd stayed asleep? We both would have been history, uh, ancient history. But life cannot be lived on autopilot. Life, now listen to me, you can't just lay back in your canoe and just say, whatever. I'm just... You know, this is what it is. It's what it is. Uh, you know, that, I understand that saying, but I don't really like it all the time. It is what it is. Well, yeah, it is, but it doesn't mean that's what it, the is of your life is to be necessarily. It doesn't mean you have to accept that is. Are you with me? So we have to be intentional. We have to be diligent. Let's read a scripture in Ephesians chapter five verse 15 says this: "So be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. So be careful. In other words, take care. In other words, be meticulous. Look at the details. Care about the details. Uh, I remember when uh, my dad was a contractor, and then I went out on my own and I was raised in construction and went out on my own and be working on, I'd work for some companies and then a friend of mine and I formed a company of our own, but uh, we were working for some bigger companies and um, I was working for this big company that built apartment complexes all over the country and uh, uh, you'd get to talking to some of the guys and because the jobs were so big and they were in such a hurry. They, the saying was when you'd start to look at the details and say, that's close enough for a job this size. Because it was so big, the minor details didn't matter. Well, I'm going to tell you what. Later on, some of those apartment complexes, we got in trouble, not me personally, but the company did, because of that attitude. Because some of the details that didn't matter that they didn't look at caused problems in the uh, apartment complexes that later on brought lawsuits. So, details do matter. You you know what? You don't want, you know, you're in surgery. The last thing you want to hear in surgery is a, a surgeon say, oops. Or you don't want to hear him say to the nurse, she say, should we sew up there? He said, oh, that's good enough. You don't want that. You want the surgeon to be very meticulous. Now listen to me. Your life is more important than that surgeon. It's more important than a construction project. It's your life. And nobody is going to care about the details or watch over them more than you. If you don't care, why should anybody else? Now listen to me. The government or your company or your friend or even your mate is is not going to care more than you care over the details of your life. You are responsible You are responsible, and you've got to look at them, and you've got to plan them out, and you've got to work with them. Now, certain things you don't have control over, but you do have control over certain things. Paul says here, be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. And we're going to talk about, not in this session, but in one of them, we're going to talk about the people in your life the people in your life, because that is critical. Who And I can tell you where you're going and where you're going to arrive by the people around you. All right, so let's, we won't get into that right now. All right, so the first thing I want us to talk about is this. It, and you might want to write some things down. Our first principle that we're going to talk about today is the right Purpose, the right purpose. Everybody say the right purpose. the right purpose. Now say it out loud. The right purpose. Okay, the right purpose. Now, what is the right purpose? This is your why. This is your why. What I mean by why uh, purpose means, is defined as the reason for something to exist. This is the reason why you are here. This is the reason why you're on earth. You're not on earth only because your mother and your father had a passionate moment. That's not why you're here. That is biologically why you're here, but that is not why you are here. You're here, you were born into this earth, you came into this earth for a purpose. Somebody say with me, I am here on purpose. I am here on purpose. Say it again. I am here on purpose. Okay, it's so important that we get a hold of this. This is the why of your life. And I cannot overemphasize to you how important it is for you to personally discover your why. If you don't discover your why, other people will give you your why. Look at young ladies that I think about when we were out in L.A. and all the the girls that come from all over the nation that wind up being prostitutes and street girls that sell themselves for a few pennies, a few dollars. Wonderful young girls, and if you sit down and talk to them, I mean, the stories would not be, well, my mother was a, a, a blank and my grandmother was a blank and that's just what we've always been. No, you'll find a lot of them came from good families, good homes, raised in church. They went out looking for a dream, trying to pursue something. 20,000 young people every month moved to Los Angeles from around the world. 20,000 every month. They get out there in search of a dream, but all of a sudden... Circumstances begin to dictate to them and before you know it they go from lit, pursuing a dream and this is my purpose to all of a sudden their purpose is servicing men and their whole life changes and it goes a direction and a course and they become something they never wanted to be How does that happen to somebody? Because nobody helped them at an earlier point in their life define their purpose that settled a why in them because that is the stick driven in the ground, the stake in the ground that tethers you to who you are. And you say, well, they just need to get saved. See, that's the thing that bothers me about Christians. Because we want to just say, oh, just get saved. That's the same thing that Jesus said when people walk by a hungry person says, be blessed. Well, they don't want to be blessed. They want to be fed. See, but that's Christians. Well, just get them saved. They just need to get saved. Well, you need to understand what that means. And we're going to talk about that. Okay? Because you can be a Christian, but if you don't know your why, then you're susceptible to the why of this world. And listen to me, there are predators everywhere that are determined to make you or give you the why they want you to have. All right, usually when we talk about why in life, when someone says the word why, we usually associate it and use this term, why did this happen to me? Or why hasn't that happened for me? That's usually how we use why. Why is that? (laughs) Because we tend to focus on our circumstances rather than our purpose. We are focused on the circumstances of our life rather than our purpose, and we tend to react to circumstances rather than respond to a purpose. Let me tell you, those that understand the principles of life, that understand how to manipulate and use people, they understand this principle totally. The enemy is a master at it. The better question that we need to ask ourselves is not why did this happen or why hasn't that happened for me? Why haven't I gotten that promotion? Why have I gotten that contract? Why haven't I gotten that deal? Why hasn't that happened? Why hasn't it happened for me? The greatest better question is that you need to ask when you're in a time like this, what is my why? The reason you're saying why has this happened or why hasn't it happened because you haven't found your why. It is said that when, listen to this, you might want to write this down. This is a truth in life. When you discover the why, the what becomes clear. Now, we could look at things in school that, uh, like math and different things, when you begin to discover, how the principle of how it works, all of a sudden the what and how you do it becomes much easier. We must, or we—I let me rephrase that, we all need desperately to define our why because it defines us. It defines us. Every one of us right now, every one of us in this room are defined, your definition, who you are, is by the why that you've been pursuing or living under and with in pursuit of. How many times have I heard some lady sit and talk to Denise and I that's been a a wife and a mother and all this time, and 30 years into marriage, she looks at us and says, I don't even know who I am. When suddenly the kids are gone and she's not responsible to raise the kids and all that, she... She has. She looks at us and says, I have no idea who I am. Who am I? Well, see, she should have. Somebody should have helped her discover her why before she ever became a wife and a mother and all of that. So she knew who she was. Because when you don't know who you are, you get in relationships, you're looking for them to affirm who you are. And we become codependent. And then when you are that way, you get set up for people to hurt you, abuse you, and relationships become very painful. Okay, I want to give you four words that are the common characteristics of your why. And I want you to write these down if you are taking notes. Four words when we discuss your why, your purpose. Your purpose Everybody say, my purpose defines me. My purpose is my why. why. Okay, if I know my why, why. the what becomes easy. easy. It does, my friend. Now listen to me. Very successful people understand this principle. And the sad thing to me is that I see unsaved people grab a hold of these principles and walk them out and succeed. And Christians just think, because I'm a Christian, it's on autopilot. And we ought to be the most diligent, determined, intentional people in the earth. We ought to dream bigger. We ought to do greater things. We ought, there ought to be a lot more coming out of the Christian community. But most of us are I shouldn't say, I'm not gonna even put myself, but see, too many Christians have a victim mentality. You know what a victim mentality is? Why did this happen to me? Why hasn't that happened for me? See, you're the victim. But when you have a purpose and you know it, you're not searching for it, you've identified it. You don't wonder who you are, you know who you are, you know why you're here, then you know what? Circumstances come and circumstances go, but they don't deter you because they don't define you. All right, now, I'm gonna give you four words that are common characteristics of every person on Earth. why. And here they go. Value, difference, serve, multiply. Or you could say service. Value, difference, serve, multiply. Those four words. Let's look at them just briefly. I'm not going to drill down real deep in this. But we're just going to touch them. Own value. What do we mean by that? Now, your why is going to have this characteristics. If these characteristics, as we talk about them, if they fit your life, you're, you may not exactly understand your why, but you're on course. If they are averse to you, if they're like, I don't like that then you're one that is being manipulated and controlled by other people's why. or other things why? And you you are defined by them instead of by who you're supposed to be. All right? Because once I find out who I am, I am free to do these things. Let's look at value. When we talk about value, Your purpose, everyone's purpose on life on earth is to add value to the world, to the the people of this earth. You are to add value. You must be someone that creates value. God wanted every human being, when he created Adam and Eve, every human being to create value. I look at Tasha. She started her business. I've seen Tasha come in. You were in the military and, and Tasha, but Tasha has worked hard to define her why so then she could begin to pursue something. And Tasha's gone through, she opened up her own business. She's always adding value. She's added value to herself so she could add value to others. And now you've started a new thing. You've got the this, the. Uh, book, Don't Limit Me, which you can download on uh, (laughs) TashaMScott.com, which I did download, Uh, but it's a great book. But what is Tasha doing? She's adding value. You see, when you go to a job, instead of griping about having to get there and how the boss is and what's going on and all of that negative stuff, see, that comes out of a life who doesn't know their why. That's someone that's, the canoe is just taking them, they're getting slammed against the rocks over here, the rapids there, water's coming in, they're getting thrown out of the canoe. And so they're always telling you what's going on wrong. But if you go to that job and you're thinking about, okay, I'm creating something. You work at Hyundai, you're thinking, I'm building something. I'm creating something. I may just be putting this part on there, but I'm creating it. I'm a part of creating this. And I'm adding value to the people around me. I'm I'm, uh, helping my team here. Our little team, I'm helping them. And everything you do, you're adding value. Your heart is to add value. The second thing, difference. Difference. You see, every person on earth was created to make a difference. You're supposed to make a difference. That's why problems happen, because you're to make a difference. See, I used to tell our staff, I'd say, God has put us in a mess so we can straighten it out. This world and life is a mess. We're supposed to straighten it out. We're to be difference makers. Everybody say, I am to add value. I am, value. I am a difference maker. A difference. Okay, the third thing, serve. Every one of us were created to serve. Serve. Every one of us were created to serve. You find your highest attainment in service, not in ruling. God picks his rulers from his greatest servers. Okay? The Bible says promotion comes from the Lord. God reaches down and finds those that are serving in life and he raises them up. When we have a serving mentality, when we have a service mentality, I am here to serve. Everything I do, I'm going to serve. You know, you're walking down the street, and, and all of a sudden, you know, a lady, she, her purse, she uh, drops her purse, and stuff goes out. Uh, you know, don't just walk by and, like that. Wait, you think, wait, I'm here to serve. This is my purpose. Go over there and say, can I help you, and start helping her. She may say, no, I got it. And that's because she doesn't want you to touch all her stuff. Okay. <laughs> And I understand that. <laughs> but you have a heart to serve or to be in service. Okay? Uh, you, you're on the job and you see some, you know, you're, you're kind of got it where, man, you've got everything taken care of. But you see over here one of your uh, coworkers is struggling with something. Don't look over there and say, man, he's always causing us to go behind. Get over there and say, hey, man, can I help Can I do, let me, I'll be glad to help you. Want to serve. You see somebody on the side of the road with a flat tire. Don't ride by. Say, I got a cell phone. You know, stop. Say, can I serve? Can I help? You say, I don't want to spend my life doing that. Well, you've identified the fact that you haven't found your why. Because a person that knows their why has a heart to serve. Because we all understand I'm here to add value, to make a difference, and to serve. I'm telling you, listen, if you'll become a server, you'll find people wanting to help you. Why does nobody help you? Because who are you helping? When you're waiting on somebody to come along and bring you what you want, you're going to wait there a long time. But you know where they're going? I'm telling you, opportunity The things you're wanting, the help you wish you got, it goes to those who are helpers. It goes to those that are finding somewhere to serve. Listen, every job I ever had, you know, I didn't understand these things really, totally. But when I was a young guy, jobs I got on, I did these things without and didn't understand it. But I would do it. But you know what? And people would say around me, some of my friends would get down. Why they pick you? I mean, I don't understand why you're the one that the, the boss wants to uh, you know, make his as assistant. or They give you this promotion and all that. And I knew, I said, I didn't understand it, but I said, I don't know, you know, and everything. But I did know this. There was a difference between me and them. I got on that job. I'm working. I'm working hard, and I'm finding where I can help. And when I've done my job, I'm helping do somebody else's job. See, you were created to serve. And then you're created, your purpose is multiply. Now, I'm not just talking about having kids. <laughs> Obviously, that's part of it. You know, God said replenish the earth. But the word replenish, not just not just having kids, but to fill the earth with productivity you're to be productive you're to create productivity if you have money it should multiply if you have a gift it should multiply you should never hoard or hold on to what you've got you need to be make it multiply and the only way anything multiplies is by giving it out what you hold you lose what you give you gain So one thing we could tell you, we could say multiply we could say that the characteristic of everybody's purpose is giving. But the reason the characteristic is giving is for multiplication. God, if you look when God created Adam and Eve, one of the words he used there is he said multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Multiply. It's a command of God. It is what we're to do. How can you be a Christian and not multiply Christians? How can you have hope and not multiply it? You see, everything we've got, I need to take what I have and multiply it. You say, I don't have anything. It's because you're not giving it. You're not giving it. If you'll take whatever you have and you determine, I'm here, the reason I have this is not to use it, but to multiply it. So how can I use it and give it? And you begin to find ways you can give. Give hope. Give a smile. Give love. Give care. Give, uh, you know, a laugh. Give whatever. You're giving. If you're always trying to multiply, you're going to find that your life is good. Now, let's drill down a little bit further into this. God created us because of his great love. Wait, I want to. I think I want to read a scripture here. Yeah, before I do this, I'm going to read a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay, we're talking about our purpose. Living in the right direction starts with having the right purpose, the right why. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live to please themselves. See, you didn't get saved to keep from going to hell. You got saved to demonstrate and live out the purpose of God in the earth. Let me say that again. God did not save you to keep you from going to hell so that you won't go to hell. That's not the idea of salvation. Sure, there, that is a part of, a fruit of it, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is that you might demonstrate that you might become a vessel, you and I might be instruments of the purpose of God in the earth. And in doing that, we're going to act like Jesus because Jesus lived the right purpose. And the Bible says he came not to be served, but to serve. He did not live for himself, he lived for the Father. All right, now, it says, he died, Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, talking about Christians, will no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they will live to please Christ who died and was raised for them. Boy, that's kind of like the acid test of whether you're a Christian or not. Everybody, it's one thing to say, oh, I believe in Jesus. It's another thing to live for him. The devil believes in Jesus, but he's not living for him. All right? All the demons believe in Jesus. All right? I believed in Jesus when I was cussing and fussing and fighting and drinking and all the stuff, you know, doing drugs and everything. I believed that, you know, sure, yeah, Jesus is the Savior. He's the Lord. He died on the cross, yeah. But was I living for him? No. I was living for me. Let's look at this. God created us because and out of his great love and for his purpose on earth. The church is here to be a declaration, not of Christianity, but of the purpose of God in the earth. Our lives find their greatest fulfillment when we are living for God. But how does that look when actually lived out in daily life? All right. I think this. I think to really live out God's purpose in the earth when we're really living for God. Bible says, you know, um, it's easy to know who's saved and who's not saved in the book of John, First John. John says, it's, it's easy to know who's really a Christian, who it? It's not just those who say they are. He said, many will say they are, but he said they're not. You Remember, Jesus said, many will come to me and say, hey, Lord, I've, I love you and I've done all these great things in your name. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. See, it's not important that you know the Lord, it's important that he knows you. And he doesn't, he only knows, the Bible says, he knows those that are his, we want to make sure we're His. See, we don't want to just go to church. We want to be His church. Are you with me? Now, so how do we live for God? I'll start, I'm sorry, I started to say, First John says that the way to know who's a Christian, he said, easy. Those that are living for, for God are those that are living righteously, are saved. They belong to God. They are His. And those that live wickedly, they are not, or unrighteously. Well, you know—that that is a religious term, or a Christian term, that is a good term, but we can put it over here where it's a bunch of, you know, oh, well, we consider this wrong. Another group says, well, no, we don't consider that wrong. I remember when I got saved, if you went to a movie theater, well, you weren't saved in the group I got saved in. A little church, and you know, and that's what they believed. And so we wouldn't go to movies because Christians didn't go to movies. If you went to movies, then you weren't a Christian. Well, see, it was all about your outward things. And people say, it's not the outward that matters. Well, it does matter. It matters if I pull out a gun and shoot you outwardly. It'll matter to you. Uh, so don't say the outward doesn't matter. It does matter. Okay? But there is a much greater thing at issue here. And what you know, John says is this, really. We could break it down by saying John says, those that live for God, and it's obvious they're living for God, they belong to Him. And those that live for themselves, they're not His. Let's look at this a little further. I think what we're talking about is best discovered or best uncovered in the word love. It seems to be the word that the scriptures emphasize. When Jesus was asked what is the great commandment, he said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, soul, Mind and strength. But we're still talking about your purpose. And I'm telling you how, where it is found. You can, read a, you can read a motivational book on success. You can read all these things. And I'm telling you, there's some good stuff there. The only trouble is, you see, you may be, you may go, be going down to the performance shop buying all these parts to make your vehicle into a race car. But the trouble is, when you go home and try to put it on your bicycle that you have, they just don't fit. Does that make sense? See, sometimes we hear about, oh, if you do these steps here, these principles here, you do this, and we try to put it into our life, but we're not attaching them to the right purpose. That's why most of them fail. Jesus said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he went on to say that this is the greatest commandment. And all the other commandments of God, all the other commandments are found and fulfilled in this one commandment. If we'll love God and love one another. If we can learn to love the Lord in the way that Jesus said, then it opens up to us an understanding of purpose in our life. Our first purpose, the beginning step, the the cornerstone of our purpose, everyone's purpose on earth, not just Christians, but everyone's purpose is to love God Love God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit with our entire being. I'm not talking about loving God with our human love. We're talking about loving God with the love that God has given us. I remember when I didn't understand these things very much, I was just a new Christian and God spoke to me about, started dealing with me about pastoring in a, one day and I told the Lord I said God I can't pastor because a pastor should love his people and God I struggle I, I feel like I've I just love Steve and I'm trying to get out of that and and I've spent my whole life just loving me and I was ready for God to say that's right you dirty dog you filthy animal I've been wanting to talk with you about that. I'm so aggravated with that about you. And here's what the Lord told me. He said, don't worry. He said, I'll love them through you. And boy, that set me free. But you see, everything that God says when he talks about loving your enemies or loving your friends or loving just period and even loving him, he's not asking us to try to do it our own. He's asking us to let him love through us. Let's look at that. The Bible says that the love of God, in the book of Romans, says the love of God has been poured out, literally it has flooded, a tsunami. The love of God has come like a tsunami into our heart by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we are to believe in God's love for us. That's the beginning point. We're talking about your right purpose. The right purpose, your why. You've got to, we begin with God's love for us. The fact that God loves us with an unconditional love. See, God loved you when you were ungodly. God loves the ungodly. God loves everyone. See, God loves the homosexual. God loves the prostitute. God loves the gangbanger. God loves the drug addict and the drug dealer. God, does he love what they do? No, he doesn't love everything Christians do. He doesn't love everything you do. Yeah, but I don't do that. Oh, there was a man in the Bible that prayed like that. God, I'm so glad I don't live like this. I don't do that. And the other one said, God, I am unworthy. And Jesus said, Who do you think went home justified? Are you with me? See, God's love is not a feeling. Now listen very carefully to me. God's love is not a feeling. It is a truth. It is an absolute truth. And just like for God's love, the world, John three sixteen, 16, or, or any other scripture in the Bible, given it shall be given unto you, any other scripture in the Bible, you have to believe in the love of God. You have to believe that God loves you just like you are. Now, does that mean God approves of you the way you are? God loves us. He may not approve of my acts, but I've got to believe God loves me in spite of who I am. You know, that was the thing that amazed me when I got saved is the fact that to realize that God loved me. And God, I knew God loved me. And it amazed me when I discovered that God loved me when I knew what I had lived like. And I'd never met a love like that. When we believe in, <clears throat> in God's love for us, then we can love Him. I really want this to happen in this church. I want this church to be overwhelmed with the love of God. I am asking God for a baptism of His love to consume this church. I'm telling you, the body of Christ needs it so bad because it would wash away so much judgment and backbiting and hurts and pains and all the garbage that goes on. I'll tell you, love keeps you when nothing else can. Love keeps you from things that nothing else can. Love keeps you right when nothing else can. The law won't keep you right, love will. I feel sorry for Christians that all they can do is pick out the faults in others and try to expose them or condemn them and criticize them. I feel sorry for them. I would hate that to be my Christian walk. Because I would rather live by, I would rather my life for Jesus be the fruit of love rather than the fruit of judgment. The Bible says, see, once we believe in God's love for us, then we can love him the way we should. We love him, the Bible says, because he first loved us. So first and foremost, our purpose is to love God, to believe in his love for us, and to be an expression of his love to the world. I'm defining your purpose, the core of our purpose, the, the, of everyone's purpose on earth. Let me tell you, I believe that as the church, we are to be a visible, tangible expression and demonstration to the world around us. Of the love of God. When we discover God's love for us, we're able to love Him. And when we love Him, we're suddenly able to love others. Not just people that love us. Not just people that we like. But also people we don't like. You know, I love people I don't like. You know what I mean? You love anybody you don't like? You know, there's people that, I just don't care to be around them. You know, they're they're jerks or whatever, you know? Or they always want to talk about this or talk about that or something, you know? I don't like to be around them, but I love them. Now, when we discover God's love, we're set free to love others. First, God, then our family, then our church, the family of God. I think we ought to love all of the churches. Thank God for what God's doing. I love the pastors in this city. I love the churches in this city. And this is a church, but it is not the church. There's plenty of great churches in this city. And I thank God for everyone. We ought to love the family of God, even those that seem unlovely. There's mean Christians, but we ought to love them. There's people that have been mean to you, but you ought to love them in return. And if the love of God is in you, then you do. By this shall all men know that you belong to me. You're my disciples, Jesus said and that you have love one for another. Yeah, but they don't love me. Who cares? God loved you when you didn't love him. Didn't he? So all of a sudden, you're greater than God? God loved you when you didn't love him, but you can say, I don't love this person. I'm not gonna love them. They've hurt me. They've done this. I'm not gonna love them. You choose that. You know what that is? To do that, I've got to push the love of God out of my heart. And my friend, that's a dangerous thing to start to do. Because when you push it aside, when you push the love of God aside, something else is going to come in. And here's what happens. We begin to shrink, shrivel up into ourselves. I've seen Christians that because of what other Christians have done. I remember especially when I was young, a young Christian. I would look at these people and they were bitter, hard they were hard as stone, their hearts and their life. Very hard. Why? Because they could tell you, they could run down a grocery list of people that had done this and said this and hurt them and all this. All in the house of God. But the trouble was, they became the victim, not of what those people had done. They became the victim Of their response and their reaction to what those people had done. And I looked at them and my heart cried out. And I remember sitting in the little church and listening to this, some ladies that talked to me about, oh, you know, all that, trying to warn me about Christianity and how Christians are and all this. And no, they don't all have angel wings. And those aren't halos, they got horns holding those halos up and all this stuff and that's not angel wings man those are bat wings you know <laughs> and all this and i mean you know you and as a young baby christian they were filling me with all this stuff and i remember I remember when they talked to me and they said those things and they could tell me how this one did this and that one did that and all this. And they're talking about people in the church sitting on the other side of the aisle and you know doing all this and don't, 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 don't get around here and don't get around here and all that. You know, I remember as a baby Christian, it literally, I literally, I can remember it as well as it happened just now. I can remember sitting on that pew and I'm doing like this and those two ladies are right there behind me and they're talking to me. And I remember I got physically sick in my gut. My gut literally felt sick. And I remember, I didn't understand it, but I remember the Holy Spirit saying, shut this out. And he said, son, I'm showing you the danger of what can happen if you don't guard your heart. And I remember sitting there and I said, "Oh God, please help me, not to ever allow that to happen in my life." And not long after that, Denise and I were with um, the makeup But she was what the Anyway, there was the lady that her husband had started this great cosmetic company. it's all over the world. I forget the name, and she was Mar- no, not Mary Kay. Uh-uh. That lady started that, uh, <clears throat> but anyway, you'll remember it later. Her real name was Maxine Trujo. and <clears throat> Denise and I were with Maxine in the car. I was driving, and she was sitting in the back seat, and she started to weep, and she said, "Pull over, pull over!" And so I pulled the car over, and she said, "God wants me to tell you this." That as you serve him and as you walk with him. Now church, I'm telling you this because this is not just Steve Vickers. This is for all of us. She said, God wants you to know this. That many are going to attack you in the name of God. Many will hurt you. Many will do what they can to destroy you. And she said, but God says, keep a sweet spirit and guard your heart. And don't let a root of bitterness take root within you. If you do, it will destroy you. And I remember I I sat there, she was saying, and Denise and I and her were all three weeping. And there's a whole lot more she told us and all that. But uh, anyway, I remember later on, I told the Lord, I said, God, I don't understand it. People can do me this way, and yet I'm to guard my heart so that I don't get bitter at them. And I got to just... Sit there and take it and all this. And he said, no. He said, love is a force. It's not passive. And he said, let me love them through you. And he said, that will keep your heart clean. And he said, don't worry, son. He said, when they stand before me, they'll give an account for what they've done. But he said, don't you judge them. Now, folks, that's easier said than done. And many times I've had to fall on my face And I'm talking about our purpose. Many times I've had to fall on my my face before God and say, God, you hear what's being said or you see what's being done. And I don't have to go too far back to to think about having to to do that. It's been throughout my life. But it's not just for preachers. You have it happen. Somebody on the job, somebody, a friend, a mate, some of you have had your heart broke by your mate. Different things that have happened. Some people, a, a sibling or, a, or somebody that was close to you begins to attack you and try to destroy you. That's the thing about Facebook. Man, people get on Facebook. You know, I don't post on, I mean, my post on Facebook, I don't get on Facebook. I just have a little uh, thing that, called Hootsuite that I go in and do a post there, but I don't read Facebook. And people will message me, and they'll send me something on Facebook or make a comment. They said, "I sent you something about three months ago, and you never responded." I said, "I'm sorry, I never get on Facebook." And one of the reasons I don't is because so many people get in there and start doing all this stuff, and they want to get out there and put their garbage out, and then talk about other people's garbage and all that, and it can be so dangerous. My friend, you got to guard your heart, guard your heart, and make sure that no matter what happens to you. Your purpose, your why is to respond in love. Respond in love. Let me wrap this up and close. I want us as a church family to be passionate. I want us to be passionate. Not to win or succeed, but to be an expression of the love of God in our city. I believe Absolutely, in winning and succeeding. I don't believe in failing. But I also know that failure is not a destination and it doesn't define me. If I fail, I failed. But I'm still a success going somewhere. But that's not what it's all about for me. Winning and succeeding is not what it's all about. It's all about love. It really is all about love. It is said that John, you know, the uh, uh, Apostle John that leaned on the Lord's breast at the supper and he was called the one that the Lord loved. He loved all of them, but they said that he seemed to love John the most. He was leaning on the Lord's breast. Well, you know, he... They were, he was martyred. They tr- tried to m- kill him. But they could not kill him. They put him in, uh, history says they put him in a, a vat of, of hot oil to kill him. When they brought him out, and he was okay. So they couldn't kill him. So they put him on the Isle of Patmos and put him there, which was a prison camp. like well, I can't, Alcatraz, but there was no house or thing. And there was just some caves And they put them on the Isle of Patmos where they put these prisoners to die. They gave them nothing, nothing to survive. They stayed there till they died. And on the Isle of Patmos, John had the Revelation. You know the book of Revelation? It was written while he was in the worst place, he was on the Isle of Patmos waiting to die. Well, they brought in John's latter days, just before that happened, just before he died, they brought John to the church. And history, the early church fathers talk about how that they would bring John up. He was so old that two men would stand, or a man would stand on either side. They bring him up to the podium. He was so, he was an old, old man. And he would just say something. They wanted him as a great father in the house of God to say something. And John would, they would have him up and John would say, he would look up in a very feeble, weak voice. He would say, little children, love one another. Then they'd take him back and he'd sit down. Let me read something to you. And I close with this. If I could speak in any language in heaven or on earth, but didn't love others, I would only be making meaningless noise, like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. That's what I hear a lot of in the world today. It's sad. If I had the gift of prophecy and I knew all the mysteries of the future and knew everything about everything, but didn't love others, what good would I be? And if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move without love, I would be no good to anybody. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would be of no value whatsoever. Love is patient and kind. Now we talked about this. Our purpose. We said you must have the right purpose, and that is your why. And your why defines you. It defines you. And we're saying that your purpose ultimately is love, it's the love of God to be an expression of the love of God. So literally, we could put your name in there, or I could put my name in there. Steve is patient. I'm working on it, Denise. <laughs> I'm having to work on it. And I know I need to work on it. Steve is patient and kind. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable and it keeps no record Of when it has been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and it always endures through every circumstance. Love will last forever. Let me go back and read this the way we can read it and I invite you to do that sometime in your private time but I'm going to read it the way I need to read it. Steve is patient and kind. Steve is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Steve does not demand his own way. Steve is not irritable and he keeps no record of when he has been wronged. He is never glad about any injustice, but he rejoices whenever the truth wins out. He never gives up. He never loses faith. He is always hopeful, and Steve endures through every circumstance. Steve will last forever, and we will. We'll live forever somewhere. But prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will all disappear Now we know only a little, and even the gift of prophecy reveals so little. But when the end comes, these special gifts will all disappear. It's like this. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away those childish things. Now we see things imperfectly as if in a poor mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. See, We like to give opinions about things and state facts, and we don't know squat. (laughs) All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me now. There are three things that will endure, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I want Christian Life Church to be, man, I want to see people saved. I want to I see miracles. I want to see the sick healed. I don't like people being sick and hurting. But you know what? I want to see miracles not to see miracles. I want to see miracles because people need them in their lives. But you know, the most important thing I wanna see, I wanna see this house filled again, to overflowing with people. But you know what, that's not the most important thing. What I really wanna see is I wanna see a people who are, know the love of God, who love Him with all of their heart, and who love one another with the love of God. If we could just become a people passionate about the love of God and let God work everything else out, I'm convinced great things can happen out of the love of God. Great things did happen and have. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Father, thank you for this time together. And I pray, God, even though I've tried to communicate this as best I could, I pray that by the person and work of the Holy Spirit, you communicate to the people effectively our purpose, oh God. Help each one of us to define and discover our purpose. Help us to find it first in the love of God. I ask you, Father, for an outpouring of your love. I pray for a baptism of love to overwhelm this church and consume us. And give us a heart for the hurting, the bruised, the broken, the unlovely, the ungodly in this city, O God. Help us to reach those that are far from you with your amazing love. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com.